0: All right, it's good to see you in church this morning, and see a little bit of camouflage out there in the the rest of them. I guess they, I can't see them; their camouflage is that good. But uh, glad you're at church this morning, and uh, I, we'll be in First Timothy here in, uh, in just a minute as our, our main text. But, but I don't know if you all realize it or not. I mean, I've heard a few mentions of it so far this morning. But did you know we had an election Tuesday? You know, I, put, I, I mentioned this on Facebook Tuesday. Uh, some people may have seen it. Some people may not on Facebook. But, you know, when you go vote, they give you a little sticker, right? And uh, I meant to bring mine in, but we came in Mary's car. Mine's in my car. And uh, I never even took mine off the little piece of paper that it was on. And, and uh, anyway, I never put it on. So I thought, I wonder if they counted my vote. <laughs> then... I didn't do what the t- big trend is. I didn't take a little selfie picture with my sticker showing to post on Facebook or anything. So I wondered, since I didn't post a picture wearing my sticker, did my vote count? All these things went through my mind. And then I thought, why didn't I just grab a handful of stickers and wear one every day up to the election and say, I voted again. I voted, you know. But, I mean, Bert, oh, vote Bert. vote, early and vote often. That's the way I believe, right? And so, uh, anyway, we did have an election. Boy, wasn't it? Uh, It was, I guess, uh, exciting in every sense of the word and that uh, excitement and we didn't know what was going to happen and right down to the very end. You know, I'm a bit of a political junkie and and for the first time in about two years since we decided to cut cable, I was kind of having a panic attack. (laughs) You know, missed Razorback ball games, didn't really care. Missed all these, but then it's like, I can't watch election coverage. That's not on Netflix. But there's another streaming service that has a seven-day free trial, (laughs) and I signed up for the seven-day free trial (laughs) so I could watch election coverage. And just for the record, I'm going to cancel it, and I don't think it's dishonest because the thing's been cutting in and out, and I'm not really happy with it, and so I'm going to cancel it. I don't know what you think about how the election turned out. I have my own thoughts on different things, but I'm not going to share those. But whether your candidate won or whether your candidate lost, I think we all have to agree that it is truly remarkable that we live in a day and time when common, ordinary, everyday people get to go to the polls and cast our vote as to who we think the next leader of our nation should be. I think it's even more remarkable, as we look at our government and the structure, that when one party's in power and another party is elected, and it doesn't matter what they've said about each other throughout the campaign, that two days later they sit down together and begin discussing the peaceful transition that will come what an amazing nation we live in and i hope we thank god every day that for the fact that we're given the opportunity to live here but you know we can't help but react after an election whether our side wins or whether our side loses it's human nature to react and again i don't know if you've watched the news much i've been getting the most out of my 7 day free trial But there's people reacting on each side to every kind of extreme you can. It's human nature. Everybody's got an opinion. And if you don't believe it, just ask somebody, right? Everybody's got an opinion. But no matter what side of the election you or I were on, as the church, as Christians, you know, we're supposed to react. The Bible tells us how we are to react. We're not called to be complacent and set aside and just say, you know what, I'll just, I'll just keep my mouth shut 100%. I mean, we should keep our mouth shut under certain circumstances. But you know what, the Bible tells us how we're to react. This morning I want to look at one of our reactions. we are going to look at another one tonight. But I want to look at probably the most important reaction that we as Christians can have to any election. Not just this election. This morning, I'm not here to preach about President-elect Trump or President Obama or Secretary Clinton or Speaker Ryan or Governor Hutchison or anybody else who's in power. This morning's message is about you and it's about me and it's about the church and how we as individual members of the body of Christ and how we as a body as a whole should react to any election or any non-election time, how we're to react to our government. And we find some of that here in 1 Timothy. But before we get to that, I think it's, it's important that we understand the context. Because you know what, I've come to find that a lot of times people get the most upset, and a lot of times people react in the wrong way because they just simply misunderstand what's going on. I know there have been times when I've overreacted or maybe underreacted because I didn't understand the significance of what was going on around me. I'm sure you, I mean, you're human. You've done that too. But here's what we know. We know that over in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, Paul says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And so we know that God himself instituted human government. Human government instituted by God himself. And Paul reminds us over there in Romans chapter 13 that every ounce of authority that human government has over you or I is given to it by God himself. We have to understand that context. We have to understand that that President-elect Trump or current President Obama, all the authority they have over us is given to them by God himself. And had, had Secretary Clinton won the election, we'd have had to say the same thing about her. The Bible also teaches us that there are mysteries of God that we will never understand. And I think when it comes to human government, there's a lot of mysteries there of God that I will never understand. You know? I mean, I've got a a degree in political science. I understand how government works, but I don't understand why God chooses to use it sometimes. I don't understand why He decides this person or that person should have the authority, but you know what? We don't need to understand that. We just need to understand that they have their authority. Because God allows them to have that. And as we look at that, now what is our responsibility? And as we look over in 1 Timothy, we see that the church does have a responsibility, a unique responsibility, a responsibility that no other organization, no other group of people, no other association on this planet has the same responsibility that you and I have towards our government. Whether you're a Christian in the United States or a Christian uh, over uh, in, in the United Kingdom or in Africa or Australia or wherever you may find yourself being a Christian, you have this responsibility to your government under which you live. It's the way God called us to be. In First Timothy chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 1. Therefore, and we'll go back to see why that's therefore here after a while, but therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray together this morning. Most gracious Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to stand here this morning to speak your word, and I pray that that's truly what happens, that it's it's your words that flow from my mouth this morning, and, and that each heart here, including mine, would be open to receive your words and to receive your truth. I pray that we'd leave here with maybe a different viewpoint than what we came in, and we'd leave here Uh, Just on on fire to follow uh, your will for our lives as we live in the United States of America. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look here at 1 Timothy, uh, it's a book about how the church ought to operate. That's really what 1 Timothy is. It's a book about the order of the church. And how it provides future guidance for the church, knowing that as Paul writes this during the apostolic era, when when the apostles were still living and moving about and leading the church personally, Paul knew this time was coming to an end, and there had to be some written instructions on how the church should operate. And so Paul pens this letter to Timothy, and as he writes these instructions, now, 1 Timothy is one of three books in the Bible known as, as a pastoral epistle. It means a letter to a preacher. And so some people say, well, 1 Timothy, that's just one of those that preachers need to read. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, just preachers, y'all read that part. That's about, no, this is, not, this is not a book about preachers. Although it does lay out some very great instructions for pastors. It's a book about the church. And it's a book about how the church ought to operate. And it's about a book about how we as individual members of the church ought to live. And Paul makes it clear as he writes this letter to Timothy that every member of the church has a responsibility to pray, says for all men, and pray specifically for our leaders. He says, for kings and all who are in authority. Well, you know what? In the United States, some people say we don't have a king. I argue with that. We do have a king. His name is Jesus Christ. But he's not our earthly king. He, Jesus Christ is not trying to govern the United States of America. I heard it put And a sermon I was listening to before election day said, we need to be careful as Christians not to drape the cross in an American flag because the cross is not an American symbol. Jesus Christ is king of the universe. The president of the United States is that governing authority, the Congress, our governor in our state where we live. We need to pray for those people as they lead us. And it's so easy in human nature and our society to have be hostile towards these people, it is so easy for us to be hostile towards our leaders, towards our president, towards our governor, because they do things we just really don't like. They do things that stand completely against what we stand for. Let me tell you, I tend to get a little hostile when I see them spend my hard-earned tax dollars. And let me just tell you, you know, brother Eric and I, we side with some of you who are business owners. Who are self employed people, when that quarterly check comes around, when you actually have to write your income tax check to the government, and it says paid to the order of United States Treasury, ooh, how, it hurts. It hurts to send in that quarterly check. You know, I'd a lot rather them just take it out and me never really realize what's missing, okay? It's a lot, you get a lot more hostile when you have to write the check. At least that's something I'm praying about personally, that God would help me through that. But then you see them use your hard earned tax dollars to go to people who also provide abortions. Well, really, the number one thing Planned Parenthood does. And we see tax dollars going to organizations like Planned Parenthood. When we see tax dollars being used to celebrate, same-sex, we'll put it in air quotes, marriage. When we see, I mean, I even get hostile when I see things like my good hard-earned tax dollars going to do stuff like study the reproductive habits of grasshoppers, okay? I get a little upset about how they spend tax dollars. It's easy to get hostile towards our leaders, but nowhere in this book does it say that that's okay. Nowhere here does it say that it's okay to get hostile. Instead, it tells us we should pray. I get upset about how my tax dollars are spent on every level of government, as a matter of fact. I'll just put that out there, okay? But this book says, that. what should I do? I shouldn't get hostile towards the leaders It directs us to pray for them. Paul starts out there, he says, I exhort first of all. That word exhort, what do we get when we see that word exhort? Here it indicates Paul's making this as an urgent appeal. And let me tell you, the times are urgent. If we look around and we see what's going on around us, there is an urgent need for us to pray for the leaders of our society, for the leaders of our nation, our state, and even our local governments. There is an urgent need for us to pray. And he says that need is urgent. He lists four different types of prayers there, and we're not going to get into all of them. We could do a whole sermon on that in and of itself. But the first one he lists there is supplications. Supplications is the type of prayer that takes place because of a felt need. Is there a felt need that you can think of? Is there a felt need you can think of when it comes to praying for our leaders? We could all think of needs, but there's one that trumps them all. Pun intended. Let me say it again. There's one need that trumps them all. Well, you might have got the joke. Okay. There really is one need bigger than any of those needs. Let's look back at the end of chapter 1. In verse 18, he says, "I, I char- This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Some have rejected the faith and I exhort you to pray. That's what he says. Some have rejected the faith, and there is an urgent need to pray. Pray what? Pray for the salvation of their soul first of all. Let me tell you, if I'm not praying for the salvation of of the souls of, of our president, of our congress, of all those who are in leadership, I've got no business praying that they'll spend my tax dollars wisely. I've got no business praying about anything else in relation to them if I don't first pray that the Holy Spirit of God would break their heart, would convict them of their sins if they haven't been already, and that they would accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior. We ought to be on our knees every day praying for the salvation of those who lead our nation and our state and our local governments. That's the number one need for prayer. We ought to have a great burden for the lost around us. And we ought to have a great burden that those who are leading us would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because let me tell you, Donald Trump cannot make America great again. Congress cannot make America great again. The Supreme Court has proven they cannot make America great again. There's only one who can make America great again if that's to be done. And he doesn't carry the title of president or congressman or justice. As we've already mentioned, he carries the title of king of kings and lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ. And without him, in, and we know he's in control. But if those who are in power don't allow him to control them, well, we stand to be in a lot more trouble. We need to pray for the salvation of those who are leading our nation. Why? Well, first of all, because God desires that all men come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But look, there's a a reason. As we look in verse 2, we pray for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. You see, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life. Now, what is that? Some, you might think just at the a first reading that quiet and peaceable are the same thing. Well, absolutely not. Quiet refers to what's going on around us, peaceable refers to what's going on within us. You watch the news. You checked Facebook. Have you looked on uh, the internet and other news sites? That sort of thing. Tell you, it's not quiet out there. People are upset that their candidate didn't win. They didn't get their participation trophy. People are upset. It's not quiet, and because of that, you know what? There's there's a lot of folks that are not peaceable in here. You know, it's so bad that leading up to the election and even since, I've read news stories where people are saying, my child is having nightmares because of the results of the election. That's a problem. We, we laugh about it. But it's a problem when in our homes, children don't feel safe because of the outcome of an election in the United States of America. It's because there's no peace in the home. And if there's no peace in mama and daddy, guess what? There's likely not going to be peace And little junior. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our nation so that we can live quiet and peaceable lives. In all godliness and reverence, Paul writes God wants us to be praying for the leaders. You know what? It does benefit the leaders when we pray for our leaders. But you know what it ultimately benefits, we read here? It benefits his church. You see, when we pray for those who are, say, over us in government, what does that do to us? Well, whenever we put somebody else ahead of us, it humbles us a little more, doesn't it? it puts us at a little lower level and we realize we're not as important as maybe we thought we were. A lot of people in the church need humbling. But you know what else? When we pray for our leaders and God takes control of them, it allows us to live a more quiet and peaceable life and we feel more comfortable expressing our faith and we feel more comfortable sharing the love of Jesus Christ with others, even though we ought to do it whether we're comfortable or not, when we commit to constantly praying God's will for them, it changes us. Notice what verse 3 says. It says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, when we pray for the kings and those in authority, when, as a result of our prayer, We lead a quiet and peaceable life. God sees it as good and acceptable. Now, this word good here is not the opposite of bad, so to speak. Your kids running around won't mind you. You say they're being bad. You tell your kid to do something, they say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. We call that good. That's not the kind of good that Paul is talking about. The Greek word here translated good may be better translated beautiful beautiful. When we're praying for those who are over us in government, those who are our leaders, when we're praying that God's will takes place there, when we're praying for their salvation, when we're praying that they would allow God to guide them, God sees that as beautiful. When his people are praying his will, it paints a beautiful picture our Heavenly Father. I tell you, it's only one thing, only one thing that's going to make America great again. And that's a church committed to prayer. Church committed to prayer. for our we, we talked about this back when we preached about the church last year. Too many churches in America are too caught up about me. What's best for me? What's in it for me? The church as a whole, churches across the United States have got to get away from that because as we see here, again, it's not about me. God says we pray for them. And we don't just pray for our leaders in government. Just pray for all men. Pray for all people. Pray for those who are protesting the election whether you agree with the outcome of the election or not, pray for those people who are violently protesting. And by all means, keep your opinions to yourself on Facebook. The election's over. And Instead, spend that time praying. Spend that time praying for peace within and quiet around us. You know, and. Don't miss verse 4. Going back to verse 3, Paul says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. So we prepare for our invitation this morning. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And the truth is that there's only one way you can get to heaven. There's only one way I can get to heaven, and that's by trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior. It means, you know what? If we don't trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, there's only one other place we're going, and that's straight to hell. But because of the blood Jesus shed on the cross. The Bible says that if we confess With our mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And that is the truth that Paul talked about as he wrote to Timothy. It says God desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This morning, if you're in this room, and you've been listening for the past few minutes, guess what? You've heard the truth. But you know what? God leaves it up to you to decide how you'll respond to that. This morning, I hope if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is my prayer that you would allow Jesus Christ to take control of your life, that you'd confess your sins. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Whatever the Father has laid on your heart this morning, maybe you need to take this time. Maybe you want to take this time and just pray for our nation. Pray for the transition that is coming. Pray for our president-elect as he selects those who will be around him. Some of the most important decisions he will make that will shape his presidency will come in the coming days. We need to pray for those decisions as he makes those decisions. Maybe you want to spend this time praying for him. Maybe you need to spend this time praying for you. Whatever the Lord's laid on your heart, let's do that as we stand and sing.